0: Hi and welcome to Yokine Baptist Church. This is a sermon recording taken from one of our regular church services. You can find out more about us as well as more recordings like this one on our website, yokinbaptist. Or by connecting with us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God.
1: Sometimes you get a bridezilla. Right, and they might sort of demand that you have to turn up with expensive gifts. That's more like a Josh. Uh, or they make you travel to the other side of the world at great expense to go to their wedding. But most of the time, we love getting a wedding invitation. You know, we love that our friends or our loved one has invited us. We look forward to the beauty of the ceremony, we look forward to uh, the fun of the reception. And Scripture often uses the relationship between a husband and a wife um, as an illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. Uh, John the Baptist. You like that? John John the Baptist described himself as the best man and Christ as the groomsman as the groom. John said you yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him the one who it has the bride is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is increased so John said look I'm like the best man you know I turn up to the wedding I dress up in my really nice clothes but I'm not the groom. It's not about me. The groom is Christ. And then in Revelation, it makes clear to us that God's people are the bride. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this helps us to understand this morning's reading. In our parable, The king represents God, and his son is Jesus Christ. The invited guests who refuse the invitation are the Israelites. And so when he talks about, you know, people capturing and killing his servants, he's talking about the prophets. God sent prophets to them to remind them of how to come to God, and they refused and they rebelled against them. But in this parable, God then broadens his invitation to everybody else, and some people accepted, and they came in, and they came in appropriately dressed, all except for one man, and we'll look at him a little bit later. So, we're in chapter uh, chapter three of Second Peter, so we're in the last part of this book. We've worked our way through First Peter, now we're working our way through Second Peter, and this is the last message in that series. In this letter, Peter has addressed some of the false teachers that are coming into the church. They're saying that Jesus is never going to return. This day of the Lord they talk about, it's not going to happen. There's no judgment that we have to face. And also, the false teachers had twisted the teaching of Paul. So, when Paul talks about freedom in Christ, he doesn't just mean freedom from the law of Moses, he means we're free to do whatever we want. And Peter concludes this letter by talking about the certainty of the Lord's day. He says, the Lord's day will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away. The elements will be dissolved in fire. The earth and all its works will be disclosed. One problem with these false teachers is that they couldn't accept that Jesus would return. And we talked a bit about this last week when we talked about, you know, patience. They waited thousands of years for the coming of Messiah, but about 30, 35 years after the resurrection, they got too impatient to wait for his return. So they said, oh, he's not coming back. I mean, after all, it doesn't look like it. I can't see any evidence of his return right now. The world seems to go on the way it always has and nothing changes. But Peter reminds us that Christ's return is certain and it will come suddenly like a thief. Jesus actually said something very similar. In the book of Matthew, he said, About that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the Son of Man. Before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, right up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Uh, It's interesting, the the word took them all away, uh, in the Greek is the word that people get the word rapture from. They were taken away. Jesus went on to say then, in Revelation, oh, hang on, I'll go back. Sorry about that. The flood came and took them away. In last week's message, Peter reminded his readers that the false prophets were just as wrong today as they were back in the days of Noah. You know, they just thought, oh, it's all going to go on the same. Nothing's ever going to change. Judgment's never coming. And what was fascinating was that even Noah, who spent 120 years building this boat, using it as an opportunity to preach God's word, no one listened. They just couldn't accept it. Uh, And you would think that if you had 120 years warning about something, that you'd be ready for it. And yet we read here in this passage that it took them by surprise, because they just couldn't accept, they couldn't realise. And by the time they realised their mistake, it was too late. Um... Jesus uh, said, to, uh, said to us in Revelation, remember what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent because if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief and you won't know at what time. Uh, Paul said something in his letter to the Thessalonians because they were all getting a bit worried about the coming of the Lord. They were They had the opposite problem. They were worried that maybe the Lord had returned and they'd missed it. So they have a different issue over in that church. But he said, about the days and times, we don't need to write to you because you know very well that the Lord's Day will come like a thief. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly like labour pains on a pregnant woman and they won't escape. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so this day should surprise you like a thief. Now, I don't believe in getting caught up in trying to work out the day and the hour and the times and the way Christ is going to return, Um, trying to develop, you know, schemes about is there going to be a rapture, is there going to be a tribulation, all that kind of stuff. I don't think that's the point of Jesus telling us any of that stuff. I don't think that we are meant to know all of that. Instead, there seems to be a very clear focus from Jesus, from Paul, from Peter on two things. One, his return is certain. Jesus is coming back. That is an absolute in scripture. And secondly, his return will be sudden and unexpected. So the key question that we need to ask ourselves, if those things are true, is how then shall we live? For me, and I believe also for Peter and for Paul, the most important thing to focus on as we prepare for the Lord's return is what difference does that make to our lives? Let's look again at Paul's statement to the Thessalonians uh, and this time I'm going to read the last bit that I didn't read first. You brothers and sisters are not in darkness so this day should surprise you like a thief. Instead, you are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. Paul makes a statement about who we are in Christ. And he says, Yeah, it's true. When the Lord returns, it's going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected. But that is not something that we need to worry about. Only the people living in darkness need to worry about that. The unrighteous need to worry about that. We look forward to it with anticipation. Because we are people of the light. We are already made righteous by the blood of Christ. And so Peter, in his uh, first letter, said, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. So the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief, it's going to come suddenly and unexpectedly. But to us, that's not something to worry about. It's the difference between someone coming to judge you unexpectedly and someone coming to throw you a surprise party unexpectedly. You know, not all surprises are bad. A surprise party is a good thing. Well, some people think it's a good thing. Sure, it will happen when we least expect it. But that doesn't mean it's something we have to fear or something we have to worry about. We don't look forward to it with dread, but with anticipation. We look forward to being in the presence of our Lord. We look forward to this time when the the Scripture tells us we're going to be in peace and joy and no more pain. The frailty of this body will be gone. And as we wait, the certainty of this coming should affect how we live now. And so Peter goes on to say, since everything in this world is going to be dissolved, what sort of people should you be? You should live lives that are holy and godly as you look for the Lord's Day to appear. And indeed, hurry it on its way. We are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which justice will be at home. That's what he's promised. So, my dear family, as you wait for this thing, be eager to be found without spot, or blemish before him. You know, a big um, aspect of any wedding is the anticipation. I don't think I've ever conducted a, a wedding ceremony that's gone for more than about 40 minutes. You know, they're not, they're, not, they're not huge, they're not day-long events, are they? And the reception itself usually only lasts a few hours. But for that very tiny little portion of time that we spend there can be months and months, maybe even years, of preparation. I think Margaret and I were engaged for about 18 months of preparation before we were married. And that's all part of the preparation process that even though, well, hopefully we're not looking forward with dread. (laughs) If you are, maybe you shouldn't be getting married. Hopefully you're looking forward with anticipation all this time. Now, naturally, part of that preparation is that we want to look good, like that. Isn't that a good-looking couple up there? You may not recognise them um, because that was 35 years ago and they're a little bit older and a little bit larger now. And we want to look good for our family and friends. We want to look good for our Facebook posts, don't we? But really, what we're preparing for is for our bride or our groom. That's really who we want to look good for. So I shaved and showered and dressed in my best clothes for Margaret. Not for anyone else. I did it for her. And her hair and makeup and her fancy dress were not so much for everybody else, they were for me. So that when she came down that aisle, my jaw would drop, my eyes would bulge out like one of those cartoon characters. You know? And I'd think, I am the luckiest man in the world. That's who she was preparing for. That's who I was preparing for. So the first aspect of how we should live as we anticipate the coming of the Lord is that we are preparing ourselves for Christ. We, the church, are his bride. So in this illustration, we are the ones preparing ourselves for eternity. So, what does this preparation look like? When it comes to wedding, we enjoy getting dressed up in our best clothes and making fancy cakes and all sorts of things, but some people don't know how to behave at a wedding. Some people don't know how to dress appropriately at a wedding, and that's when we have problems. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Here's a bride and groom. Um, That black bar, I put that on. That wasn't there in the original. That couple, look at them, look at them. They look like a bunch of bogans. Does that look appropriate to you? What about the guests? Here's the bride's mother-in-law in a wedding dress. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And these guys, you'd kick them out of your wedding, wouldn't you? Just like the guy in the parable, you'd kick them out. Or uh, we've got people fighting over the, uh, fighting over the flowers. Uh, we've got the poor old bride's father stepping on, his, on the veil. And, of course, down here, this is the one that we get all the time today. Some idiot with an iPad right in front of the bride and groom so no one can see them. And the photographer, who they've spent a lot of money on, can't see them either. people behave inappropriately and they dress inappropriately you would think that you you know when you send out an invitation six weeks in advance that maybe people would think oh that's really lovely I better I better press my shirt I better get my suit ready I better be on my best behavior because I love these people but no they don't now you need to understand whenever we look at the parables whenever we look at the book of revelation things like that there are a lot of and images and symbols to try and describe spiritual truths and we don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole and get bogged into all the details you know an analogy is just an analogy you don't have to take every single element of it you don't have to get bogged down on the specifics sometimes there's a parable that treats us like wedding guests and other times there's a parable that treats us like a bride so you know they're all just there to make spiritual points now, if we go back to our reading this morning, which was a parable that Jesus told, he talks about wedding guests. Now, with the parables, you've got to understand the most important part of the parable is not the part, that, parts of the story that get you there, it's the punchline at the end. Parables are like jokes, right? If you tell a joke and then forget the punchline, you've missed there's nothing, is it? It's boring. It's dumb. It's like me getting up doing a joke and going, oh, I forgot the punchline. You were sitting there going, what a waste. The punchline is what's important, you know, and mostly in Jesus' parables, it's like, who got the kick in the pants at the end of the parable? And so in our reading, Jesus finishes this parable on this weird note. He says, the king came in to see all the guests And he noticed the man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness. Now, at first point, you think, well, that seems a little bit strange. How is that the punchline of Jesus' parable? We understand it a little bit better when we go to the book of Revelation, We read that one of the elders said to John as he's getting this vision, those in white robes are those that have come out of tribulation, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. All right, so he's talking about Christians. He's talking about people who have received salvation through what Christ did on the cross. And then he goes a bit further in Revelation 19. Uh, we read the people shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God the Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteousness of the saints. So, in John's vision here, he's describing God's people as wearing beautiful white wedding clothes, right? Beautiful white wedding clothes which stands for the righteousness that we have. We are being prepared as a bride for the son of God and we haven't necessarily just got 18 months to prepare. We've had a couple of thousand years to prepare and we don't know whether that preparation time is going to come to an end tomorrow or if it's going to be another thousand years but we need to be prepared. And he talks about this righteousness, these robes that stand for our righteousness. You see, God is holy and perfect and without sin. We cannot come into the presence of God with sin. That's the whole point of the law of Moses. If you read through Paul's letters, he says, the point of the law of Moses was never to make you righteous before God. It was to prove to you that you can never be righteous before God. God is too holy. All of the law was designed to illustrate that point. And so before coming into the presence of God, somehow we must be made holy. And I love what John says in this little passage in Revelation. Revelation. He says that these beautiful white robes, this righteousness was given to the bride to wear. The bride didn't have to earn that dress. The bride didn't have to make that dress. The bride was given that dress. And that's what our righteousness is. It's a gift from God. We cannot earn our way to heaven We have to accept the salvation that comes only through Jesus. And so if we go back to our parable, the guests at the wedding were all given clothes to wear. You know, they went around and they rounded people up off the streets, people scungy and dirty and whatever, and gave them beautiful clothes to wear and said, come on into my wedding feast. Their righteousness was given to them. But there's an unwelcome guest Someone who refused to come in the front door and be given the righteousness that we're supposed to be given by God. Someone who said, no, no, I'm going to sneak in my own way. I'm going to wear my own clothes. I'm going to get my own righteousness is going to get me to this wedding. And God says, no, you're not. There is only one way in. And that's through the righteousness that I give you. It is a gift of the Father. And so in Revelation we read, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. It's just another picture saying that we need to be wearing the robes that God gives us in order to come into his presence. To put it, put it another way, there is one name under heaven by which we might be saved. There is one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ. That is a righteousness that is gifted to us through the blood of Christ at the cross. Finally, we need to live with patience. We touched on this last week and we're going to wrap it up today. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Waiting is difficult. You know, you're waiting for that Birthday to come. Or, well, you know, unless you're like my wife and says, no, I don't want to party. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is it, 60 next year? No, I don't want to party. No. Okay. Most of us look forward to our birthdays, even us old farts. But we look forward to maybe that wedding or we look forward to a trip we're about to take and we get a bit impatient because we're excited about it and we're excited about the Lord's return, and we can get impatient about that. You know, I found it hard, you know, waiting for my wedding, months and months and months of preparation, when all I wanted to do was be with my bride. We need to be patient as we wait for the return of Christ. We read in uh, the last part of uh, Peter's letter here, the last few verses, when our Lord waits patiently to act, See that for what it is, salvation. Our beloved brother Paul has written to you all about this according to the wisdom that has been given him, speaking about these things as he does in all his letters. There are some things that are difficult to understand, so like the freedom in Christ stuff that they were struggling with. Untaught and unstable people twist his words to their own destruction like they do with other scriptures. But as for you, my dear family... Be on your guard since you've been warned in advance. Right, we're like the people before Noah. You've got that 120 years lead time. You've been warned. Don't say you haven't been warned. Don't be led astray through the error of lawless people and fall away from your solid grounding. Instead, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus the Messiah. We need to be patient because God himself is patient. As we looked at last week in the time of Noah, God didn't delay judgment because he had to. He did it because he was being patient with people. He wanted people to repent. If anyone had repented and said, yes, I I repented my sin, I prepare to follow, Noah would have let them on the ark. And as I said last week, he must be the least effective missionary in the history of the world. 120 years and not a single convert but God patiently waited and his delaying the return of Christ is not like the false teachers said proof that he'll never happen, proof that he won't come back. It's a mark of God's patience because he wants people to be saved and so the obvious implication for us then is that we need to use this time to lead people to Christ. And one way we do that is by living holy and righteous lives. You know, we're not not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to sneak into the wedding by the back door. The righteousness we have is the gift of Christ. But we then need to live it out so that others can see in the same way that they saw Noah building that boat. And they went, what in the world are you doing, Noah? And he had an opportunity to share God's word. We live a holy life and we, and, and we live a way that people go, why are you like that? Why are you behaving in the way you are? And that gives us an opportunity to say, because of what Christ has done for me. It is our privilege and our birthright as followers of Jesus... To grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Peter says. And this takes us right back to the opening section of his letter when he talked about adding faith, to that add virtue, to that add knowledge, to that add self control and patience, piety, affection, and love. I think this letter really is a lesson for our times. If there's one thing we've learned in 2020, It's patience. Well, hopefully we've learned that. Patience as we wait for restrictions to lift. Patience as we wait for a vaccine. Patience as we wait for our lives just to get back to normal, whatever that might mean for you. This is a perfect opportunity for Christians to stand out by demonstrating patience and the other gifts of the Spirit that point to the holiness of our God. So ignore the false teachers, both the ones that Peter was addressing here who said, oh, Jesus is never coming back, and the ones who say, oh, I know he's coming back because I know the hour and the day, it's going to be this such and such day. Ignore all of them. Their desire is their own glory and their own profit But our desire is to bring glory to God now and in the new age to come. So as we finish this morning, Peter is 100% convinced that Jesus will return. It's known by lots of names, but particularly in this letter, he knows it as the day of the Lord. And there are lots of visions, dreams, parables and so forth that talk about it. But our task is not to get caught, you know, falling down the rabbit hole and tied up in all the little elements But our first step is to affirm the certainty of the return of Christ. And then what do we do with that fact? Using the illustration of a wedding and the image of white robes, scripture tells us that there is only one way to God. Not by the law, not by righteous works, but by the blood of Christ. And so as we wait patiently for the Lord's day to come, we live lives of righteousness so that we will have opportunities to share what Christ has done for us. And so this is really a mixture of good and bad news, this message, isn't it? For those that are living in darkness, Christ is coming to judge. For those who refuse to receive his gift of righteousness, they will be cast out. But the good news is that for those of us who follow Christ... Those of us who have received his gift of salvation, we will share in eternity with him. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your wonderful, gracious gift of salvation. Lord, it's hard sometimes to comprehend the depth of your love that you would be willing to die for us. And so, Lord, all we can do is say thank you and offer you our lives lord we thank you that we don't have to earn our way to salvation because we know then that none of us would ever get there but we thank you that your salvation comes through the cross and you give it to us as a gift and so if there's anyone out there who's who's not yet saved someone who thinks that maybe they're oh i'm a good person i can get to heaven somehow Lord, speak to them and let them know that there's only one way in, and that is through your son. Lord, for those of us that have received your gift of righteousness, help us, Lord, to be patient as we await your return and to use this time to bring others to you, to use this time to invite others to take part in that amazing wedding feast. And we look forward to it with every part of our being, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us today and extra thanks to those that have donated to us online. It's your generosity that enables us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. If you would also like to support us, visit ybc.church/give. You can also access our website to find out more about our community by visiting yokinebaptist.church.give or by connecting with us on Facebook. If you've enjoyed listening to this message, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.